0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Portsmouth Running Podcast. Uh, this show tells the stories of local runners in and around the Portsmouth area, um, as well as also having appearances appearances by special guests to tell us all about running related subjects of interest. Uh, I am joined as always by my very broken co host, Mr. David Harvey. <laughs> Dave, Hello. great to have you here, as always, and uh yeah, I'm looking forward to this one because I think both you and I have been feeling a little fragile over the last week. Um, How's it all going?
1: It's going okay, mate. Um, Yeah, fragile to say the least, I think. Um, I feel like I've been broken in more ways than one. (laughs) My legs are absolutely ruined. But I must also warn you that I've got a very uh, disruptive cat that's in the room. That's currently currently meowing at a piece of glass.
0: That's Um, fine, you know. Two, two's company, three's a party, so the cat's more than welcome to join us.
1: Yeah, she, she is absolutely intent on destroying everything in the house. So anything that can be clawed at now needs to be locked away. So we've literally <laughs> lost about five toilet rolls in the last like 12 hours just to them being completely decimated by her claws.
0: Well, they've got, they've got to kind of keep themselves entertained somehow. So, uh, so yeah, it's always in the form of of annoying us, us stupid humans. Yeah, um, exactly. Which is which <laughs> is quite funny. But listen, David, also just very very quickly, wanted to wish you uh, a happy birthday because over the weekend. You obviously celebrated your your ex ex birthday. Won't be uh, won't be mentioning any dates or anything. And I was I was literally thinking about getting the bagpipes out for you to play Happy Birthday, but um, <laughs> I figured that we actually wanted people to continue listening to the show anyway. So <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, we've we've got a cracking interview today, and obviously I don't want people to turn off. But um, just just briefly about that. Um, on this episode, uh, we're going to run through, obviously, our experiences of the races that we had um, just over a week ago now. And, obviously, you're going to talk to us about Lakeland a little bit. So keen to kind of find out how it all went. And I'm sure the listeners are as well. And then, hopefully, I'll be able to to let everyone know a little bit about what went down at the Kennet and Avon Canal Race as well. So, a little bit different for the show, a little bit something different. Yeah. But we've also... Um, got a fantastic guest on, and I was so so pleased to welcome onto the show uh, Jean-Louis Lafayette from Atlas Live Tracking. Um, now, Dave, I don't know if you know, but Atlas are a creator of leading-edge race timing uh, and tracking technology, and Jean-Louis was kind enough to kind of join me on the show to tell us all about their kind of timing solutions for for races, which are, are really kind of lightweight and affordable uh, and based on Bluetooth technology. So it was quite quite interesting to kind of hear what goes on you know from people who are timing races because we often like brush shoulders past these people and see them at at events but you never really kind of get to talk to them so I figured it was a great opportunity to kind of ask some questions uh, about how it all works and stuff and just kind of hear from from their points of view about about how race days go down so looking forward to to sharing that with everyone but yeah have have you heard about this live tracking have you ever kind of chatted to any any race timing people during events?
1: Well, I know, I know a couple of people, you know, like Karen Webber and Chris Mills, who who always pop up doing the longer stuff. And I think they do, is it monkey chip timing or something like that? Oh,
0: uh, you've heard of that. yep
1: yeah. Race director. I think that that's, that's like the big one that I sort of see in a lot of places at the moment. But mm. this Bluetooth one sounds interesting. So I'm quite looking forward to listening to seeing how this all works and if it's like much cheaper, because I don't think i really know much about it at all and particularly about the cost of it because yeah. is it expensive is it cheap i literally have no idea so
0: i think it's i think it can be quite expensive because obviously the you know i think some of the timing setups and stuff you see around races are, are often quite kind of bulky and and, mm. and john louis tells us a little bit about that you know kind of trying to lug all that equipment around to various points of a race especially if there's you know it's, yeah. a, it's a circular route or, or not not an out and back which yeah obviously halves the, the distance but yeah it can be quite tricky getting all this equipment up and obviously powering it and everything so um, yeah so it'll be, be interesting to hear from Jean-Louis uh, later on and I think it's something that, that listeners would be keen to hear yeah. but um, anyway there's
1: see a lot more kind of live tracking going around nowadays even for the bigger events and I think the Centurion ones now have got live tracking haven't they and Lakeland's had live tracking so you can see see where someone is all the time
0: yeah it's becoming better isn't it it's becoming kind of a little bit more interactive for people who are wanting yeah. to follow friends and and family and stuff through races so it's 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 an exciting space and i think it's one that's definitely gonna gonna have loads of improvements over over the next few years and uh yeah. yeah no very very interesting so listen before we um we move into that into our into our interview with jean louis dave let's start with i think we should start with lakeland because it did sound awfully painful and i think it kind of lived up to all the expectations and and, and am I right in saying that kind of now it's over?
1: Yeah yeah I think that um, so I did it last time in 2017 and I was absolutely broken at the finish and when I did it this year I was absolutely broken at the finish again okay and I'm not sure what it is I think in hindsight it's probably not as bad as I remember it but um, at the time it was incredibly painful particularly with 10 miles to go and I, it was so rocky, and it was so so much rockier than I remember it being
0: right, uh, right so much
1: more technical than I remember it um so I was a little bit shocked really because um and because where it was so hot, there wasn't any rain or anything it was really hard under underfoot, so there yep. was no give, and then it just started to wear me down a little bit but you know it's a beautiful route, um particularly when the sun's out and and it's pretty brutal as well so um can can you
0: can you remind us quickly because i know i know we um we recorded a a short little video before um before we had the race obviously you and i were were out taking a swim in the sea after a hot run but can you just remind uh or or let listeners know what lakeland is and and whereabouts it takes place
1: okay yes so the the lakeland 100 is uh the ultra tour of the lake district and it was originally started i think as a bit of a British response to some of these European mountain races like UTMB and and that kind of thing that that were starting to get more and more popular. So they um, found this loop that starts and finishes in Coniston um, and it's about 105 miles long with about six and a half thousand meters of ascent and then about six and a half about the same descent as well. So I think that makes it around twenty to twenty-two thousand feet of climbing, which so, is so
0: similar to CCC, I guess, like the, the amount of climbing, yeah. which, which is a lot.
1: I say it's not got that kind of like raw up, you know, elevation of something like UTMB, but it's it's a bit more kind of rocky and a bit more gnarly underfoot. Okay. So. It doesn't follow any of the kind of like obvious tourist hotspots of the Lake District, so you don't go up to like Scarfell Pike or anything like that, but you sort of skirt around between them, okay? And you go down to Seathwaite first, and then you climb up to some um, beautiful fells and go into Boot and then Wasdale Head, you go to Buttermere, Braithwaite, Blencathra, mm-hmm. um, and then. And then you go to a place called Dale main which, which is an estate and that's the sort of technical kind of halfway point But it works out at about 56 58 miles in okay and that's where the 50 mile starts
2: ah, so they do like a
1: 50 mile race that will start i think at half 11. so if you can get round in good time and start the 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 your last kind of 47 miles before the fifty starts, then you can get a lot of people kind of coming past you and encouraging you and give you a little bit of a kind of a bit more of a boost.
0: Oh that's awesome. So that's so cool. Did, did you did you get that far? Did you get where you wanted to at the halfway point and, and see yeah,
1: so I i after halfway that you go up a thing called Fewsdale, which is quite a big uh, valley fell and it just goes on forever. And then you go to place called Mardale Heads and then towards Kentmere and Ambleside. And it wasn't it was just when I was getting into Ambleside with about 15 miles to go that these 50-mile runners, the, the lead guy that did it in seven hours something, shot past me like a, like a rocket. Really? Um so that must a bit put you down, man. You'd be see. like,
0: oh, I, I can't move and all these people are running so well.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that when I got into Ambleside with 15 miles to go, I saw my coach, Michelle, and nice. saw my mum and Heather. And it gave me a bit of a boost but within about two miles of that I got down the road and everything started to fall to pieces. My legs were absolute agony and I remember saying to Heather like I think this is the most painful thing that I've ever done. Wow Just okay. and, and then you get to that I got to that point of kind of frustration that I wasn't moving very quickly but still I was still moving and still being positive.
0: And this uh, was very late and, stages of the race?
1: yeah and just sort of thinking um, you know like I know I'm going to get to the finish but I just have to be patient and understand that I can't run as well as I could yeah um, when I That's started started the race yeah. and it was just a bit of an agonizing kind of last last 12 miles half marathon and it took me about three or four hours to do that wow. uh, with I, the I final think forgiven <laughs> for <this. Yeah. laughs> Jesus. but there was you know like There were so many things that I had to deal with going into the race.
0: Yeah, you've been through Uh, quite a fair bit, haven't you, over the last few months?
1: Yeah, and so I've been quite injured and I had to start from absolutely nothing and go back to basics. And then I think in May time, I started from just doing three miles, four miles at a time and have been building up very long and slow kind of runs since then. So, but have seemed to have peaked at the right point and over the last few weeks, suddenly got a little bit more of a skip in my step. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went into it feeling kind of confident I could at least get round, but I, I wasn't expecting to do it in any kind of like swift time. So my time in the end was about forty uh, 27 hours, 47 minutes, something like that, 45 okay. minutes.
0: Okay. Now, now just, just to put into context there, like I know perhaps maybe for some of the Centurion runners you know centurion races or maybe some some of the different kind of races there i, I know like your times previously on at centurion races you know you've you, you've done your sub 20 hundred miler and stuff now i think 27 hours for that terrain is actually yeah. a really damn good time dave
1: yeah <laughs> cheers I, I, was, I was quite happy with it i was aiming for 26 really but um i think that you just it, it becomes one of those races where you're just happy to finish it rather than happy with the time. Mm. And in all honesty, I wasn't really bothered when I finished. I was just so happy to sit down, have a beer, have a Jaeger bomb, and put my feet up and just. I chill can't out believe that a
0: Jaeger bomb, dude. That would I would have. I think I would have died if somebody <laughs> put one of those in front of me after a race. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um,
0: listen, listen. Can I ask quickly? Um, so, going into this kind of race, what? Um, what kind of like required kit do you need compared to like a lot of others because you're obviously out in the middle of the sticks and i know that yeah. it's like self navigation um you had a compass i think with, with part of you so what are they what do they ask you to take i mean is your pack pretty full like it is at
1: utmb yeah it was heavy it was similar to a utmb type race because it's mountain race that you get you've got um obviously map compass you've got a road book that gives you a description of the race um you've got obviously full length base layers, top and bottom, waterproof gloves, full waterproof top and bottom, hat, oh, okay. um, emergency food, whistle, the usual stuff, water, lots of food um, stuff to keep you going really. Um, and But in, in the build up to it I, I did my classic leaving it to the last minute and ordered the goos that I normally use to um, to, to fuel me because I'm a bit of a bit of a gel fiend. So okay. what I normally what I'd normally do is grab a sandwich at an aid station and then fuel with the sugar between. So take a couple of gels between aid stations. Yeah. But this time I'd i ordered done it for 24 hour delivery and then we for like three days didn't see the postman at all and we thought oh my, what what's going on here and uh, assumed that the postman had like got COVID or had gone on holiday. And then we noticed on some of the local Facebook groups that people were saying that no one had seen any post for a few days. So I went in, went up there with no gels whatsoever and no oh. way to fuel myself. Gosh. So I sent James Elston from Centurion a message just to just say, look, if I, if I buy some stuff from the shop from you, would you be able to bring it up with you? Because I know that you're going to work at like one of the checkpoints. And he uh, said, well, Okay. in short, no, I can't do that because I'm not going to the shop. However. He had done a Paddy Buckley round in um, in Wales the week before.
0: I remember seeing that. Like yeah, yeah.
1: Forty odd salted caramel goose that he hadn't used. So he said, "Look, I'll bring these up with me, and then you can have those." So I met up with him and and got salted caramel goose. I got about twenty of them. So I had I had a few gels anyway. Okay. And uh, so all I had basically was the same flavoured gel between,
0: yeah, oh between the uh, aid stations yeah.
1: so by the end of the race I was like oh god this is this is not good but at least you know, at I'll least say... they're quick
0: at least they're quick they kind of just go down don't they so if, yeah. you know, if you're gonna have anything I think the gels are just like you know the tequila shot of, of ultra running nutrition
1: yeah <laughs> But I was so grateful to him. I mean, it was such an awesome thing to do. Um, and so I, I probably wouldn't have been able to get round unless it was with him bringing me those gels up. So thank you, James. You're an absolute legend. Super um, cool,
0: super cool. I'm, I'm not sure he listens to the show, but we'll, we'll try and get that message to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or maybe he does. You never know. <laughs>
1: mm. So that that was one of the uh, bits of adversity going into the race. And then um, we, we'd hired a boat on the day before. Yeah. And uh, we took it out into Lake Coniston, and in my infinite wisdom, decided to jump off the boat into the lake. Now, I, I wasn't—I didn't realise that you weren't allowed to do this. So, okay. after about five minutes of swimming around this boat, this this rib was hurtling towards us at high speeds with its blue light on the back, and it was like the uh, the the lake police basically saying that I wasn't allowed to, to jump in the water.
0: Oh my now, because God, stubborn,
1: <laughs> i I showed proof to him that I was able to get back onto the boat, but in doing so, had leant heavily on my rib cage. So uh, in, at the time, didn't think anything of it. And then a couple of hours later, I bent down and something gave way in my chest. Ooh. And I don't know whether it was a rib or an intercostal muscle, but for the next day, like 24 hours before the race, I couldn't breathe properly without really, really bad pain oh dude that's Um, that's
0: the last thing you needed man
1: (laughs) so i started this stupid 105 mile race cursing myself and uh the first the first couple of steps i was like oh this isn't too bad and then the more i started to run every step it was like being stabbed in the chest
0: ah dude okay so you had that to, to deal with as well as everything else on the, on the route. Did, did it get a little bit better as you went on or was it, was it just stabbing stabbing you the whole way? Yeah,
1: day? I think it's one of those things that you just have to accept that's there and then try and concentrate on something else. And it was so mm. hot that what you could do was think about not not dying of, of heat stroke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: oh, my gosh, dude. So so literally, the gods threw everything at you before, you know, a yeah. cu- couple of months before the race going into it. But, but no, dude, I mean, look. You, I've always said to you, one of your strengths, Dave, is your your ability to to grit through anything. You literally, I've I've never seen anybody who can just work so hard in a race and just and just always come out with such a good result, no matter what's thrown at them. So,
1: I think it's testament to just... you and
0: massive kudos for, for for getting through the whole experience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just stubbornness, I think, done
0: what's the end of that race like i know you said that when you okay. kind of come into the to the final kind of stretch and you go along that, that or you come up that, yeah. that hill that road i've seen you in, in a video and then you mm. turn into the the finishing tent and stuff you said that you you had actually quite a big um quite a big applaud and stuff
1: yeah so i think that what what lakeland does is it pr- it prides itself on community so you get people that come back and do it over again so you get people that do get the five hundred award slate, which I don't think I would ever go for. right okay. um, but you get people that do the fifty every year, do the hundred every year, and people get to know each other and there is a real community around it. And okay. um, and it and it's for its benefit. Because when you when you start, there's there's they play Ness and Dormer at the start and then they play Thunderstruck and it and it makes you it gives it this epic feel. Yeah. There's a really decent race briefing briefing that pits Norman northerners against southerners and it's you know it's funny it's light-hearted but you know it tells you some about some of the changes of the course so for me it's about it's about the finish because um when when you come back down into Coniston if you time it right then there'll be and you go through Coniston you know before the pubs shut out mm-hmm. the pubs are absolutely packed full of people and it's the same in Amble side as well actually the pubs are packed full of people. They're all there for the runners, and they're all there because they love running. So you, when you run through Coniston, everyone goes crazy for you, and it Amazing. makes you know it makes it feel like a special occasion.
0: Yeah. When you go
1: down the drive into into the high school, the streets are lined with people, and everyone's waiting for their runner to come past. And then and then you get met by um by by one of the uh, volunteers there. And they have a very large marquee at the finish line and everyone yep. that finishes gets announced into this marquee as you know hey this is david he is a hundred mile finisher
0: that's amazing and it's so and cool. it, and it
1: makes it makes it really special and and everyone goes nuts there's like massive cheers rounds of applause um i can i can share the video actually and perhaps put it on the uh, course running podcast
0: i'd I'd love to do that that'd be really good yeah
1: yeah and it it does make it feel really good because it's really personal as well and then you get beer at the end and you can sit down and and they don't do this just for the people that finish like you know before midnight this will happen all through the night so from the first person that finishes at two o'clock in the afternoon to the last person that has missed the cutoff Mm-hmm. And it's three or four hours behind the cutoff. Everyone gets the same reception. Everyone gets introduced into this marquee. Everyone gets a massive round of applause. Everyone gets treated really special, and it's it's absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. I, mean, I can't really say that enough. You know, the, the the race is brutal, but you know it's it's you know the tough the battle the sweeter of the victory, and they really kind of like make it awesome when when you finish. So, I'd thoroughly sure. recommend going to do it. It's it's a fantastic race and. The, uh, I think the ballot opens on the first of September.
0: Oh, oh God. Okay. I know you. I know you keep. You, you keep. You keep going on at me about entering it, and I'm like, maybe one year. I don't know. Everything I seem to hear about this race is uh, is hard. But I think the way you describe it there is, it makes it sound like a proper special event. So I can yeah. see why people are drawn to it every year.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. And and you, you know, you, you won't just get a race that's a little bit overcast and easy to run. It'll likely be. Heatwave, hailstorms, showers, plague of locusts, anything you'll <laughs> you will throw everything at you. It's brilliant.
0: Acid rain, volcano. <laughs>
1: but anyway, that's that's enough about my my crap. I'm yeah, here. There are some congratulations in order for you and your final beating of the 145-mile distance, and not only doing it in only a decent time but an amazing time and coming well well within the top 10.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. It's, so, when you say it like that, it's difficult to even still kind of comprehend really. I, I, I kind of finished the race and was just a little bit kind of out of it for quite a while. Um yeah. had no expectations at all of, of, of coming in the top 10 at all. In fact, yeah. you know, for me it was kind of like you say, all about going back and just trying the distance and seeing if, if I've got it in me because I was you know so curious about it and just fascinated by the whole canal races but yeah I, I was going to say Dave before I go into it though I was going to just thank everyone because I think like for me to talk about the race would always need to start with the people that I had around me yeah. for the race it was it you know without them I wouldn't have been able to do it and I wanted to just say like a massive thanks firstly to my crew um Bracken, who I don't think you've ever met and Richard Johnson who is Again, a local runner in Portsmouth and, and good friend of mine um, who's very experienced at at the long distance stuff um, but those guys just kind of you know gave up a day and their half a day and a day and a half of their lives just to kind of drive past me and all the time and make sure I was okay and stop at all the checkpoints and feed me yeah. and and honestly, it took a little while to kind of get into the routine of it and but once once they were in it, they were just superb. You know, they were getting the chair out for me all through the race and making me sit down and okay. handing me food. It was brilliant. Absolutely it's brilliant. Fair. It's so fair good. to say in
1: these races, isn't it, that when you've got a crew, because I know Kevin Kennett and Avon and Grand Union and those type of races, that if you don't if you don't use the checkpoints there, you have to have a crew. And yeah. the efforts that they put in, uh, it's just so essential because if they don't do their job properly, then you'll, you'll fail. There's no way that you'd be able to do it.
0: Exactly yeah yeah.
1: So they, they are you know they're sort of part of the race themselves aren't they and they're part of your success.
0: Absolutely they're all 100% part of it and I said to them if I could if I could break this medal in half because it is a bit of a chunky medal <laughs> you, you you'd, we'd each be getting a third of it which would which yeah. would be I think fair fair so, to give but.
1: So this year they um, they did it the other way round, didn't they? Didn't they? Did they yeah they...
0: it was run London to Bristol in fact, yeah. yeah, so maybe like a little bit about the race. So, for those who don't know, so it's a 145 mile race, um, all, all, all in one go, I guess, from central London to Bristol. But as you say, in, in the past f- um, third edi- uh, three editions, so three years, it's been Bristol to London. Um, and the way around, or the, the, the way I ran it this year, was it takes in a portion of the Grand Union Canal in central London um, before you head onto the Thames Path which a lot of it is what well, people will recognize if they've, if they've run the Centurion Thames Path 100 because there's quite a large portion of it on that route. Um, and then finally you go onto the Jubilee River for a while uh, and then finally onto the Kennet-Navon Canal which um, is all the way to Bristol pretty much.
1: So how far is the the canal bit to it then because that must because the Jubilee that sounds a bit London-y as well doesn't it I think?
0: It is yeah the Jubilee River kind of I think all the way to uh what's that place called it begins with a B? I oh, i can never i can never remember um just just near salisbury but um yeah it's it's basically i think it's about 50 miles or so until you actually get onto the Kennet and avon safely right. i would say yeah. and that's just an estimate um but no I, you know also just to say thanks uh just quickly before i move on to to paul Navassi, who beasted me for six months um paul's been a huge huge part of my success this year with getting me through thames path and and now this race as well Mm -hmm. so it's the first time i can kind of safely say like trust the process actually means something to me because yeah yeah i just kind of trusted what paul was giving me um and his experience
1: it's probably fair to say that that that's taken you a little while to kind of understand that they they know what they're doing and for you to trust that because I know exactly. we've had a couple of conversations that you, your anxiety about not doing the longer stuff and been focusing on the quicker stuff. Yeah, and, uh, uh, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So
0: yeah, tr- trust the process. You know, when when those when your coaches have got your goal in mind, um, they've got a plan for you and just, you know, just just go with it and, and, and trust that it's OK. But also, Dave, like people like yourself, you know, my friends and family who have you give me advice on how to prepare, eat, train, rest um I'm just so thankful for it for everything you know everyone who contributed to messages and phone calls on the day and stuff it just you know it really means um a lot and also my kids who made me cry on the route bless them <laughs> <laughs> my little boy had like won an award in his um in his in his school that was that was quite significant and um you know oh, I got a message about that it kind of like it made me massively emotional because by that time you're yeah. in pain and everything's a bit, little bit fragile so um yeah. that was good but uh yeah so so for me I guess like my, my, race experience as a whole was, was excellent. We had, we traveled up, Jason and I traveled up the night before, um, Jason found a hotel, uh, I think it was about 41 quid a night, which in London is, is pretty good. Um, but we realized when we got into it, why it was like an oven. It was a small cupboard on the top floor of this, this block, which was quiet, but it was like so hot. And I slept with my, um, I've got, we had one of these balcony doors that's got like a metal cable attached to it. So you can't actually get out onto the balcony. Um, and I slept with it open all night, and I swear to God, I had a I had either a rat or a mouse running around my room that night.
2: <laughs>
0: I was like, I was paranoid. I hate I hate mice or rats. It's just like yeah, you know, it just keeps me awake. So I didn't get any sleep that night. I was you know I was kind of closing the the, the door in, um, for a little while and just getting too hot, but I could still hear something walking around my room. I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> uh, it was just a, it was a nightmare night's sleep. So, yeah. so obviously 4.45 comes along and the alarm goes off and you feel like you've had about two minutes sleep Oh no! <laughs> um, and that was it we were off to the start um, it was it was pretty quick um, obviously i think you're, you're familiar with the canal races they're very very low-key yeah
1: so, i was going to also... say that it, they're, they're the polar opposite to something like UTMB
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly it's just like so small i mean there's obviously runners gathering and stuff but everyone's quite quiet um, Dick Kern obviously gets onto his megaphone gives an award out for the most stupid ass question during the the prep for the race which was fantastic
1: oh brilliant what was it then
0: so the question was somebody had written in going why on earth have I been sent two numbers um obviously one's one's a spare uh so <laughs> <laughs> it was quite it was quite funny um yeah. yeah just a few kind of like very basic rules about you know just ensure you look after one another so be supportive of each other mm. Um, let the crews help each other and other runners uh, and just you know keep yourself safe really and it's it's you know everything else is kind of left to the runners which i quite like
1: yeah i think that's good because that's you know like if you're going to undertake that type of distance you've obviously got some kind of history or cv haven't you
0: yeah exactly yeah (laughs)
1: because i I wouldn't have thought you'd go park run and then go "Mm, i think i'm gonna go around 145 miles now
0: no, it doesn't happen. It's, it's yeah, it's definitely a slow build up. And, and you're right, people have. I mean, there probably are a couple of people that have tried that distance, you know, quite early on and stuff. But yeah, yeah. it's it, you're left to your own devices pretty much, and, and you're you're asked to carry just a foil blanket, and yeah. I think the maps, and and obviously a phone in case you get into trouble. But that's pretty much it really. So it was quite a little bit light, more lightweight, although I did manage to fill my bag with a fair bit of stuff. So my nutrition yeah. for the day, um, my plan nutrition was to have one gel half a packet of of some kind of fueling drink which i chose as mine being mountain fuel yeah and a bottle of water and a slight nibble of food every hour to an hour and a half that's it and that's all i did for the first 50 miles yeah and it worked. it worked a treat you know i've never used gels in a race but it i had these mountain fuel ones that were quite refreshing they're very very citrusy and quite fresh
1: jelly ones yes they are yeah okay yeah yeah so i just met those
0: yeah they're, they're, they're all right they're actually okay so and i was actually still eating a few at the very end of the race anyway just to kind of last yeah. me for the last bit but no pretty much i mean my race went to plan for the first 50 uh, jason obviously went ahead a little bit and ended up i think at some point during the night or morning was about nearly three hours ahead of me wow running in second and third place so he was having a cracking Gosh. race and I had a, had a good first 50, a, a miserable second 50 in the storms. We had all these electric storms kind of passing overhead yeah. uh, around the area and it was it got quite wet. So I put on like one of these massive plastic disposable ponchos <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: um, and just kind of, you know, it was just a real miserable sod for, that, for, for quite a long time during the night. And I think my crew were quite worried at that point that, that things yeah. were going bad.
1: I think I spoke to you in early hours in the morning, didn't I? I think I was going... Going out of the blank Center or something
0: like that. Yes, we did yeah.
1: We, was we that was change. that you didn't seem too miserable then?
0: No, I mean I was I probably came out of it at about sunrise and I was having moments of, of being okay, but the energy levels were very very yes. much up and down. Yeah. Um with quite a few kind of hour, two hours where I was thinking that, you know, I just I just couldn't carry on. But now we ran by Endure twenty four on the saturday oh, yeah. on the friday as well which was great because we saw loads of runners kind of walking the routes and everyone kind of setting up their tents and and it does look like a fantastic event mm. uh to be a part of and, it, and like you say quite different to the canal race itself but yeah we um yeah we managed to run past quite a few people who appreciated i think a few might have known what we were doing so yeah we got some cheers and stuff which was quite good um had an awesome moment with a man who lived on one of the canal boats who was pumping out the most awesome techno at about five o'clock in the evening Brilliant. and he was jamming just jamming to himself just absolutely yeah. having like a proper rave and I, I joined him for a couple of minutes just for a bit yeah. <laughs> Which was yeah,
1: awesome. that's one of the things that i really enjoyed about grand union actually is that that they've got that kind of mixture of people that are on canal boats for holidays and go from pub yes. to pub and just go up and down the, the the canal but then there's also this kind of like bohemian under world, isn't there that that lives on a canal boat and there's loads of kind of like weird sculptures made out of washing machines things hanging out yeah exactly people like making their fires and stuff and there's like a real kind of like variety of things going on in the canal was that similar
0: absolutely bang on it's it's all the interesting little sculptures and stuff that people have decorated yeah. their boats with um there's weirdly i'm not too sure why this i was going to look this up actually and i've forgotten but there was a lot of upside down wheelbarrows next to the canals um i don't know they must be used to like get something on and off board or something but yeah it was really weird but you know you're right people decorate their canal boats so differently and there's loads of like pot plants everywhere and there was yeah. one canal boat that had a mannequin statue that had been dressed in like all these sequins and like gold sequins <laughs> and stuff and, amazing and uh, it, it's amazing but also quite funny is um you know, people always kind of talk about hallucinations and stuff yeah. the, next, the next day. And one of the things I found was when you're coming along the path looking at in the, in the early hours of the morning and the lights just starting to come up and you're looking at all the canal boats in the distance ahead of you, you think that there's a group of people on a canal boat and you can see them moving and talking and everything. And then as you kind of come round the boat, everything kind of peels into its separate forms. And it's it's like a pot plant on one boat, um, a red a red bucket on another boat. But in the distance it looked like a group of people that were kind of getting up and having breakfast so there's all sorts of like strange mirages happening in the morning which was quite funny
1: so did you have it did did you have any more kind of like crazy hallucinations or anything that was completely detached from this world and ended up in like willy wonka's chocolate factory or anything
0: (laughs) no just just a few kind of like initial dream states starting to happen in the morning i got really tired and wanted to lie down and have a sleep Yeah. Um, and a few times stopped to actually get down on the floor to have a sleep and kind of, I think at one point I got down on my haunches and on am all fours and I thought, okay, I'm just going to lie here near a bench and just sleep. And I, I just pushed myself up off the floor and just said, no, just carry on walking. But yeah. I was kind of closing my eyes and maybe starting to enter that very strange dream state for a, yeah. few, uh, for a few minutes and maybe even seeing some of the dream pictures on the path, just as you open your eyes. But I, I snapped out of it pretty soon. And um, yeah. I think, What changed it for me in the last 50 was finding a spa at 6 a.m. that was open and walked in. It's absolutely craving hot food, like beyond belief. I I, I didn't think I could carry on without Mm. getting some hot food. And the spa, honestly, at half six in the morning, had all this hot food out, all these nice pies, croissants, everything, and they were all hot. So I had a a steak pie at 6 a.m., or half six, and then uh, my crew had heated up some beans for me
1: yeah
0: uh, on the next stop and yeah. then after that i think the thing that really got me going because i had a fantastic last 50 was a mcdonald's uh bacon and sausage and egg mcmuffin or whatever it was Oh <laughs> wow
1: so so going into shops and stuff is is within the spirit of the race is it
0: very much so very much yeah. so. so it's one of the things they, they they recommend is that they want runners to kind of use the local businesses use the pubs
1: um okay.
0: Because obviously a lot of the time your, your crew needs to or, or you might need to go into the loo but they they highly recommend you know buying drinks and, and just using okay. some of the shops along the way so yeah very very much in the spirit Dave. Of, of, Lake, of
1: the Lakeland is very the opposite of that is that they, they expect you to start with what you need other than in your drop bag and you okay. must not take anything off of everyone because it's considered cheating so <laughs> I think there's that because it's self-navigation there's a little bit of a self-sufficiency between checkpoints and not having to rely on anyone and it's and it's right. very much a you against the race rather than um anything Gold, else
0: yeah yeah very maybe very very different in that way then yeah, no, yeah. But, but, but it was good no and i just yeah kind of ran in caught caught jason up um brilliant with about 10k to go had a huge emotional uh, romantic hug with him which was amazing <laughs> um had a last sip of orange juice and yeah just bolted my way through the finish I think I went through the finish line at sub seven minute pace because I was just so happy to be there
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing
0: I had these oh. dreams of being Jim Walmsley on the last mile just running along this road in Bristol right I ran past a rave that was going on I couldn't see inside oh, wow. but it was like this massive banging techno again uh, which was amazing and then that just really lifted me and I just ran like with this big open stride the whole way through the finish and Wonderful. yeah I was just so relieved to get through there because yeah there, there are there are parts in that last 50 miles that just you just think it's yeah. just going on forever it just feels like it's never going to end <laughs>
1: that's that was going to be my next question because it is a long way and you know yeah. it's it, it feels like a long way doesn't it and you get to that point I find and correct me if I'm wrong you might have felt a difference but you start to agonize about a finish and it sounds yes. like oh, you know there's no way that I'm not going to finish this but
0: but why it's won't it come sort of like, sooner? Yeah. I'm not yeah. making any progress. You feel like you're running backwards. You, you really
1: yeah. do. Yeah, 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 totally. And, yeah, and that's that, where, I mean, where the endurance really comes in. That's like what it's all about, isn't it? It's sort of yeah. like being able to crack that feeling, that mental agony, the, the tiredness, and mm. you know, in, in whatever distance you do, because it happens in a 5K when you're going really fast, doesn't it? And you're like, Absolutely. I need this to end, because this hurts yeah but it and hurts in other
0: ways. Out. Mm.
1: yeah I, feel, I find like a 5k is like dropping a ton weight onto your foot very quickly whereas a 145 mile ultramarathon is putting it on there very 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 slowly
0: yeah <laughs> it's just it's just yeah it's drawn out or very concentrated it's yeah. uh, it is, that's probably the best way to describe it but it I had is. worked a lot on my mental state actually it's quite an interesting thing that maybe other runners out there listening can can relate to who have done these distances or like you say, experience that fatigue in a five K where you just, you don't know where, where to go, where to think, because you're, you know, you, know you can kind of carry on, but it's so mentally difficult. And I, I had a few conversations with people. Actually, I rang, I rang Damien Carr, a friend of mine. I spoke to Paul about it. I spoke to you about it. I spoke to Jason about it, just trying to find little tricks you can use in yeah. those, in those moments where, you know, you physically can run, but you don't want to run. And you know, I, I think looking at my result now, Um, the work I did on that and and the focus I spent on that doing a lot of reading through books I think that actually made a big difference and it just goes to show how much uh, of a difference that can play because I knew that it would be the difference between finishing Mm. the race and and not Um, and and as so happens it was you know I had a good finish so that was good.
1: It's about your desire as well isn't it your desire to finish and what it means to you because I think that my, my view is when you do run these type of races it's not it, running has become a part of your life rather than mm. rather than an exercise you do. Yeah. And and it becau- and in that in that way it becomes meditative, doesn't it? And it becomes uh, something helpful for you. And it kind of evolves. And you learn stuff. And the training is just that you do is just about. It's as much about getting yourself physically in shape as preparing yourself mentally to for when stuff gets thrown at you that you're able yeah. to respond. And I always think that when you when you do that, when you think about what might happen, it gets gives you the ability to start problem solving things as they arise. Yeah, so you know like I guess an example would be that. you know when I was coming off black Sail pass, I started to get cramping my calf muscles, and then and then you think, well, in training, what would I do when this happens? That probably means I've dehydrated the or or I need more salt. And then if you're able to problem solve as you go, you're giving yourself the best opportunity to kind of get to the finish as well and you're going to enjoy it more
0: yeah exactly exactly and I, and I think you build up as you do more of these events you build up the tolerance to be able to tolerate the the pain that's going on on another layer and able to end troubleshooting at the same time because that was what used to get to me is i was focusing too much on how i was feeling yeah and, and i couldn't focus my energy on the troubleshooting but um, yeah. or any sensible thoughts so When you can balance those two things together and and, and do them side by side, you're definitely onto a winner.
1: Mm. Because you you don't like, because it's your thoughts that will take you out of the race really, unless you've just been really stupid and, you know, got yourself into a real crap physical condition. Yeah. It's your thoughts that begin to spiral and when, and and they get to a point where you you can't, you can't then rationalise what you need to do, can you? Because... Your brain will fill up with "I'm not good enough to do this. I don't want to do this, and therefore I'm going to quit." And I'm okay yeah. with that. And it's when you start thinking that I'm okay with quitting that um, that you're that you're on onto a loser. And it happened to me once, and I was like, "I can't do this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm okay with pulling out of this race." And when I did, I was like, "I I did that because I wasn't mentally strong enough." Yeah. And I allowed myself to get into that kind of like frame of mind where I started to think that that I wasn't good enough, um, and it's fine to fail, you know, like it's all part of learning. But um, I think it only happened once.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> you
1: know, because. Yeah. Um, but like, go on then. So how how fast how fast did you do it?
0: So what, my so my overall time was thirty three hours and six minutes, <laughs> uh, with a few moments, a few lost moments where I I went off course yeah um, especially in the last 10k i think i went off course for a few minutes so i i was hoping you know looking back now i could i, I think i could go a bit quicker um wow. but i'm not sure i'm i'm ready to ready to even think about that yet so we'll we'll see what happens <laughs> but listen i also want to have a, a massive shout out you know this is obviously the portsmouth running podcast and just to say that there were three portsmouth runners in the top 10 of that race
1: it's amazing isn't it
0: yeah so mitch hardy uh, and Jason Skiro and myself, all Brilliant. in the top ten. I think it's such a good show for for Portsmouth and and the running uh, that, that kind of goes on down here, especially for the for these long events. We you know there's a lot of a lot of ultra runners in the in the area, and, and more and more are getting into it. So you know, I think it just kind of showcases the the talents. And I'm not talking about myself here, <laughs> rather Jason <laughs> and, uh, and Mitch. You know, that sounds a little bit big headed, but it's so true. You know, there, there are so many good runners in the area doing such good things, and I think it was great to see to see that so well done Mitch well done Jason as well and hoping to get Mitch Hardy onto the show hopefully for the next one
1: brilliant brilliant yeah I know Mitch he's a legend
0: awesome um, so that'd, that'd be good so
1: do you reckon it's something in the water something in the air that's turning in people into nutters that are wanting to take on this distance I don't know
0: what do you think it's just the sewerage or something turning people into into hybrid kind of human mutant ultra runners or something yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not too sure
1: I reckon it's Ken's kebabs
0: <laughs> we'll, yeah we'll, we'll call it a mix of Ken's kebabs and the uh, the sewerage in the water no, no it's all good great. We, we love we love Portsmouth and I think yeah it's just um the running community down here is just fantastic and everyone helps each other and yeah just kind of shows in in all the in all the great results and stuff but Dave listen I'm going to leave you to it we're going to going to yeah. head into our special guest interview with Jean-Louis Lafayette and listen I wish you all the best with the recovery and yes, look forward to speaking to you soon enjoy your week Thank you. Uh, love to Heather and the baby. Cool, and take care. All the best.
1: All right, take it easy. Bye.
0: Now, I'm always on the lookout for exciting opportunities to invite special guests onto the show. Uh, and this week, uh, the topic is all about race timing, which is something we as runners um, often kind of take for granted when when out running uh, at events and races. Uh, and when I say take for granted, I mean it's just one of those kind of expected things that we that we get as part of our race entry. Uh, however, um, it would be great to kind of find out a little bit more about the teams working behind the scenes to, to make this happen. Uh, and the teams, you know, currently improving the way that race organizers deliver timing. Well, on that note, I'm pleased to welcome onto this week's show Jean-Louis Laf- Lafayette and Jean-Louis, I hope I've got your name right, who is the CEO of Atlas Live Tracking. Jean-Louis, welcome to
2: Portsmouth Running Podcast. Thank you very much, Daniel. Yes, you've got my, my name spot on, it's not the easiest to say.
0: Yeah, yeah, the surname there I, th- I thought I'd struggle with a little bit, but I uh, know it's, it's great to have you on and, and, and thanks so much for taking the time to, to come on. But h- how are you keeping and, and more importantly, how was your, your recent trip to Italy to where you're working on the, the Spartan Maggiora race?
2: Yeah, that's right. So keeping very busy at the moment. Uh, Post-COVID um, restart, shall we say, has been uh, quite furious. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of events and we've had a few events now and they're beginning to scale up a little bit. Yes, I was in Italy last weekend doing, uh, so we were doing GPS tracking for the Spartan Italy Maggiore race. And yes, that they had almost 4,000 people there. So 3,800, something like that, I think it was. Wow. Over the weekend, which is not bad. It's not what they would normally expect, but it's not bad for, you know, at this point in in the post-COVID or I don't even know if it's post-COVID, but at this point in the... In the, yeah. in the life cycle, that is COVID, uh, that's actually
0: not bad. Brilliant. Wow. That's, that, that, that's quite a few numbers. And actually, that ties in nicely with what I was going to ask you about later, because obviously, you know, numbers and, and timing with regards to Atlas and, and the Bluetooth technology we'll get into is very much kind of was going to be based around one of my questions. But Jean-Louis, we were originally put in touch um, by Ollie over at Blended Trails, who has been on the show before. Um, and I believe you guys are doing the timing for their very first event, the Hassingley Half um, next weekend. and I think some of our listeners may be going to that race. Um, so if you are, do go and say hello to Jean-Louis and the team. Uh, is that right? Are you still doing that next week? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. We're doing that. Brilliant. 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 Uh, I wanted to ask, um, is race timing kind of one of those tasks? And I I know we touched on this before we started recording where you're kind of very much working behind the scenes on the day, not too much interaction uh, with the athletes themselves. Um, or is, is it kind of not, is that not the case?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I liked your intro. So basically, race timing is something that happens in the background, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think the more successful you are at it, the less the athletes will will see you, Yeah, pretty much, I think. Uh, whether it's a good thing or bad thing, I'm not 100% sure. We're trying to figure that out in terms of where our software goes, because we want to be in front of athletes as much as we can, their friends and family, people who might be watching it online, yeah. etc. So we are very much trying to be in front of athletes plus supporters fans families uh, media anyone who's interested in actually watching or looking or understanding the race but nevertheless the job of a race timer on the actual day of the event yes we're in the background typically an, an athlete who turns up to a race and i, and I myself have raised quite quite a lot of races so I've, I've been on the other side you don't see the race timer necessarily yeah. you won't perceive who they are you won't really un- necessarily know what they're doing on the day but a race. The, the job of a race timer is uh, multifarious. It's um, a lot of it is preparation beforehand. So a lot of the hard work happens before uh, the actual day. So if, if you want me to go into a bit of detail, what we're doing for Happily Half, I can let you know. But essentially, that's a week's work before the race actually begins. So if all of that work in advance has been done properly, then the actual day mm-hmm. should go really smoothly, and the timing company itself should really only be there uh, perhaps handing out some some stuff like you know bibs and chips etc but yep. other than that it's really about monitoring the software making sure the hardware is working properly and if it isn't uh attend to that and the rest of it is just monitoring and then dealing with issues as they arise
0: okay okay brilliant and, and actually in answer to your question yes i'd love you to go through what happens at the new half but maybe we could keep that for for in just a few minutes time where I'd love to kind of find out what happens for you and your teams on the actual day. So I'd love to kind of go through and understand that, that story for you as, as, so to speak, you know, in end to end, what happens, but, but firstly, I thought it might be a good idea just initially, um, you know, the listeners are probably wondering why you're here and, and, and and what you're doing and how it kind of all works and stuff, but perhaps maybe this will be a good chance for you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, obviously remind us of your name again, where you're from and maybe a little bit about your role at, at Atlas live tracking.
2: Sure. <clears throat> uh, well, because I'm half French, I'm probably also wondering why I'm here, but in a more <laughs> philosophical manner. Yeah, yeah, so my name is uh, Jean Louis Lafayni. I'm half French, half Scottish. I founded Atlas Life Tracking about four years ago now. And I did so with uh, two other engineers, or two engineers. I consider myself a half engineer, shall we say, and my background's in semiconductors. Um, so I'm, I'm a, a pseudo engineer, shall we say. Okay. And, um, and, and somebody else as well from China or from Hong Kong. And so we started this out uh, four people together as an adventure. So it was myself, uh, another person who's quite a good athlete uh, from Hong Kong, and then uh, two engineers. And since then, it's morphed from an original concept into now being um, a company that has three products, essentially GPS tracking, Bluetooth timing, and a virtual product, which we're going to launch very soon. We have uh, partnered up with a robotics company in the UK called Labman Automation, based near Middlesbrough. That's where we're actually based. So okay. we're kind of their sports division, if you will, uh, where we've, um, that, that partnership came three years uh, ago, and that's been transformative for for Atlas because that means we can leverage their 100 engineers, their very high level uh, of, of uh, quality uh, when it comes to building software, building hardware. So that's been, uh, massively instrumental in building atlas Excellent. all of our prototypes are done there uh, all of our kit is built there we have a, a huge factory there so it's so it's really awesome wow so,
0: that, that sounds exciting it sounds like you've got a lot of kind of support and infrastructure around you which is which sounds great
2: th- th- that's the only way to do this i think if you're going to build a, a race timing equipment supplier which is really based uh, where you're trying to push the software as, as much as you possibly can then yes you need mm. that kind of infrastructure around you otherwise it's actually quite difficult to do it just as a startup.
0: I could imagine. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And, and listen, do you do any running yourself?
2: I do. I mean, I, I do a lot of running. I used to compete in, in quite a lot of triathlon, but I, I don't do that as much anymore.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um. Yeah. I was going to say, Um, talking about Bluetooth uh, just, just kind of very, very quickly. I, I think for myself, certainly it, it's a very, kind of understated and underused um well i say underused maybe underappreciated technology because i, I use it day to day i use it to connect my phone to my car um to listen to music to transfer files in the house um do you use it yourself for, for a lot
2: of things as well of course i use it in all the same manner that you use it um and you know it's, fun, it's funny it's funny because th- that's the first question i get so if i if i talk to someone who hasn't heard about bluetooth timing whether it's a professional race timer professional race organizer or just somebody somebody else who's interested Mm. one of the questions i get is hold on a second if you're doing bluetooth timing for races isn't the problem that you've got to pair your device with a (laughs) phone or something in order to get the time so you know doesn't that take too much time if i'm running past the finish line so that's 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 often one of the questions i get which is fair enough so at this point i would say to you we we leverage the bluetooth protocol so it's actually ble that we're doing not bluetooth per se so there's no pairing involved so it's slightly different from the bluetooth that you're talking about um but it's it's based off the same protocol
0: okay gotcha okay so there's a there's a few layers kind of stripped off there like like i guess some of the security like pairing i guess
2: exactly right so so i mean the security pairing not not quite there's still some there's, there's still some um uh, there's still some security layers on there, but nevertheless, you, we have to go down into a, a lower level of of, of, of programming. Yeah. Well, we're not just taking Bluetooth and adapting it for timing. It's not quite like that. We take a, a derivative of Bluetooth, which is a BLE, which is blue, uh, Bluetooth Low Energy, um, which became available for race timing and other other such things approximately three years ago. Which is roughly uh, we got started with it about two years ago. Okay. And since then, so so Bluetooth timing. Uh, you know for races hasn't been around for for very long we're one of the first to get involved with it i believe there are um five four or five of us doing it now Mm -hmm. so we're not alone and it's something that you're going to see more and more of i believe
0: yeah yeah and actually that actually leads me on to to, to a really good point about the fact that we're going to be seeing more of this so um as a runner myself as well, um, I love to follow other runners progressing through events. Um, I'm sure like like you do as well, and you, I'm sure you follow follow friends and family through races. But I've always wondered when we'll actually get to see events um, where you can easily follow progress online through through a simple web page or a map. Um, and until recent times, this has not been kind of entirely possible. And, and I know that there are solutions now coming out where you've got these live tracking maps and timings that you can see little dots on a map and stuff. And often it's, it's massive devices attached to people's shoulders, which are talking to satellites and all sorts of things. But I guess for a lot of it, the equipment um, and especially the pricing is probably quite immense and, and bulky, especially for smaller events. Um, so I guess, firstly, is that accurate? And perhaps maybe you can give us a, a better description of maybe the traditional chip timing landscape first, and then that might allow us or you to lead into kind of how Atlas began and, and how it tries to simplify uh, and improve on this all. So over to you, Jean-Louis.
2: All right. Um, <laughs> big question. That's a big topic. So let me just um, let me dissect it and try and make it as clear as possible.
0: For sure. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Right. So I think you've 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 talked broadly about tracking. Right. So let me be quite clear. When you get dots on a map, you're you're looking at one of two things. You're either looking at GPS, or you're looking at predictive tracking. Okay. Predictive tracking is based off of most of the time. Uh, normal chip timing. So that's, so let, let me just take one by one. So GPS tracking, um, I, I think you mentioned the, the big thing that, you know, the GPS tracker that either communicates with Satellite or communicates just using a, a normal phone SIM card. Uh, so cellular technology sits on, mm-hmm. you know, maybe your shoulder or you put it in your bag and some races have got it. Like for example, I think the spine race in the UK uh, have that. Yes, yeah. So these, these GPS trackers typically are a bit bulky. Um, they've got a very long battery life. They're expensive for the race organizer, mm-hmm. so that's why you don't see them everywhere. Uh, one of the reasons certainly. And you know there are there, there are an extra layer of organizational logistics on top. Plus you know you've got to hand them back because otherwise there's a bit of a deposit going on. Now those 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 types of GPS trackers enable the spectator to have dots on a map. Okay. And so that's what when the, the dot, when you see dots on the map moving like this. Uh, either it's GPS, like what I've just described, or it's predictive tracking based off of traditional chip timing. So just just to complete the GPS piece, GPS has been very, very hard to crack in, in terms of getting the price down. Mm-hmm. So right now the price sits at a certain level, and it hasn't really come down that much in the past few years. When we started Atlas, it was to try and crack that piece, actually. That was our real uh, ambition in the beginning was to be able to uh reverse engineer gps as we know it today yeah and provide a service for organizers which is high quality but also low cost so we believe we've achieved this um but it's not for all organizers so we are for example providing gps tracking for sailing races okay we provide gps tracking for uh, spartan race And we provide, we've done it for uh, some triathlons and some uh, cycling races, et cetera. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's it's a nice solution that works really well for a certain type of race Spartan, for instance, for us is perfect because we can control that environment and we can scale up so we can go from 20 trackers to 500 to a thousand trackers. And it, and it's, I mean, just to give you a, a quick idea, it's. To us, there's no cost implication of going from 20 to 500. Okay, Okay, so that's the real key for our GPS. But to answer your question more generally for the for for the listener, so going back to the pins on the map, so either you're at GPS, which we've just discussed, or you're in predictive tracking. Now, predictive tracking is more recent. I would say I first started seeing it. At Ironman, for example, in 2015, 16, I think is roughly when I started seeing it. Uh, We've had it in marathons for for a little bit longer than that, but that kind of predictive tracking is based off, uh, is really a software layer Mm -hmm. on top of chip timing. So if you can imagine, uh, let's take a marathon. You have at the start line and finish line, mats on the ground, right? Everyone's familiar with these mats that you see on the ground that you run over at the start and the finish line. And also you might have antennas on the ground. What people don't necessarily know is that you have the start and finish, but in a typical marathon, you'll have them every five to 10 kilometers. Same thing. Now you might not see them. You'll run over them. You're, you know, it's not something you're paying attention to. Yeah. The predictive tracking is based off of those intermediary points. So what the software does is you start your race. So you start the start line. You, you get, when you, when you've passed the first intermediary point, let's say it's 5k later, The software then calculates how fast you're going. And based off of normally four factors in an algorithm based on, for example, maybe your predicted time that you put in before the race, based off of, um, for example, what age category you're in, things like this, it will then determine a progressive speed for the rest of the race. So when you're seeing a pin on the map, that is a guess as to where you are based on those factors.
0: Gotcha. And I think, just if I interrupt, is that the way that the London Marathon operates? Because I know you've got these little kind of like runner icons that kind of move along the map. And I assume that they're just mats on the floor doing this very thing.
2: That's exactly how it operates. So all the major marathons, Berlin, um, New York, London, Hong Kong, they all work off the same system.
0: Okay. Okay. And I can see how that would that would be preferable for a race um, of that kind of scale where you've got tens of thousands of runners on course.
2: Yes. And it's become better and better. So if we ignore COVID for a second, five, six years ago, this predictive tracking I'm describing was not very good. A lot mm-hmm. of people, uh, fans and um, and spectators would, would be sitting there with the app waiting for the person and they would miss them completely because the algorithm was off. It's taken some time to, to adjust that algorithm and get it right. Now, where it's been more complicated, more complex, I should say, is not actually in marathons. That's Relatively simple, shall we say? Mm. It's such it's, it's volumes that make it a bit more complicated when you're looking at a marathon. It's actually in trail running. So the leader in this, I think, is is very much likely to be um, Live Trail. Okay. Which I, I'm sure you've heard of. Yep, I have. Yeah. So Live Trail is a French company. Uh, works. Um, they they're essentially uh, the same family that run the UTMB race. Okay. Uh, and they, so they, they, you know, they've been able to leverage UTMB. They, they, they're doing a lot of other trail running races. Now, live trail is a very successful product. Uh, race organizers that I have spoken to I really like it a lot, and I think a lot of the fans like it a lot as well. And they've, um, I mean, I met with them three, four years ago now when they were building the algo, and, and I've seen it develop over time, and it's become a really a very solid product, a very good product, and, and I, I think it's really excellent. So excellent. That, that for me would be your leader in trail running is live trail. There are some others, uh, of course, and then you have them in the marathons, and you also have an Ironman. So if you're familiar with Ironman Live, uh, the, their tracking app, they also have an algorithm which works uh, really well now um and they've just signed a deal with my Labs, so I, I guess my Labs will be taking over there my Labs, uh, fyi do the you know the, 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 the quite a lot of main marathon races so it's it's a it's a small i would say it's a small world in terms of the people who are able to do this and who deliver yes. it so, yeah but um yeah so that's that's kind of when you have pins on the map it's it's one of those two things
0: okay gotcha Okay brilliant excellent thank thanks for clearing that up and that that was yeah you explained that really well and kind of the difference between the two um so i was going to ask a little bit about the actual hardware involved cuz cuz often i turn up to events and i see these you know exactly just like you described these these mats these these um these cables machines obviously like large antenna machines we hear the beepings we kind of run over things but i've i've often thought like like what a task it must be to to get all that equipment not only to the start line but to the finish line and also um places in between as well so often remotely um, where it's not easily accessible uh, to get to. But can you explain what hardware that you guys use um, with some of the Atlas live live tracking?
2: Yeah, so traditional, so traditional races, I would say 9 out of 10 races today use that hardware you're describing. So it's RFID, um, which may not mean a lot to a lot of people and it doesn't really matter, but it's 9 out of 10 races all use the same technology today, which is to say you've got to place at the finish line, start line and any intermediary points... Very bulky, heavy hardware. They're called decoders. Mm-hmm. They weigh about 25 to 40 kilos. They, they, you've got to go there with a van or a truck or something and drop them off. So it's it's very cumbersome, very heavy. You've got to put down some mats, some antennas, all that equipment you cannot carry by yourself. You've, you've yeah. got to take it in a car. So any point which is difficult of access. So for example, in Spartan races this past weekend when we were doing it with the, with the timing team together, we had to get, uh, sometimes we had to get a four by four drive up a uh, side of a mountain, place that equipment down. Now, that's not my equipment, mine. That's the uh, timing company. Yeah. And, but if you want to reach inaccessible places, sometimes you simply can't do it with that equipment. Uh, and it's, yeah, so it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a task to set imagine, up. Yeah. Um, and of course, it's quite onerous in terms of cost. So if you're an organizer, start a finish line, that's one thing. But if you want a multiple timing points, that's going to cost you as an organizer quite a lot of money. Because it costs the race timing company a lot of money to have that that volume of equipment. Yeah. And moreover, you've got to place it all as I've described using four by fours uh, sometimes. So it's 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 a lot of time. It's a lot of logistics organization. Yep. And you have to swap the battery out quite frequently, reasonably frequently. So if you have a long long event, say an ultra trail for instance, you will definitely be swapping that battery out two, three, four times. I don't know. It depends on the equipment you're using. Yep. So it's it's um it can be quite a complicated for a setup now until bluetooth timing came along the only alternative to, to that was essentially uh you sometimes see it with with equipment like sport ident or some other nfc type based equipment or close range uh, rfid which means that if you're wearing a tag as an athlete so for example in an orienteering race or mm-hmm. in some trail running races i've seen it you've got a tag on you somewhere you have to get to a checkpoint and you've got to find the person who's holding a handheld reader and you have to touch your tag with that handheld reader uh-huh. Okay. and that's the equivalent of running over a line you see
0: okay i think you know in, in the ucmb races i think that happens because i remember my sac being being held sometimes with a with a handheld it made it may have been possible that they were doing that some at some of the some of the stations so yes yeah i know what you're talking about
2: yeah. It's it also provides a measure of security to make sure that person's actually checked in and been there. So yes, it's very likely you would have seen that in the UTMB. Okay. Um, so that's, a, that's the only other type of timing that I know of. Uh, and then there's us, there's Bluetooth timing. So when we introduced Bluetooth timing in 2019, uh, that provided a new alternative to race organizers, which is basically just a mobile phone. So Bluetooth timing, just a quick description of what it is. It's, is a, is a chip that um, that an athlete would would wear on their person, so either on their wrist, ankle, or in a bag, or the race belt, or wherever. And th- on the other end, it's a mobile phone. So we have a, a mobile app installed on a mobile phone that reads the chip when the chip runs past. So instead of putting that heavy 30-kilo equipment down on the ground, we simply put a mobile phone down.
0: Wow. That's a, just a phone.
2: Wow.
0: Oh, John, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Sorry, I, ah.
2: I received a call and it's interrupted. The- <laughs> no, no,
0: no problem at all. No problem at all. Okay, so so from all that equipment, just straight to a straight to a telephone on a tripod.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah.
0: Cool. Okay, and I guess also um, if you want to put those mobile phones out into the field, they can also be held by volunteers. Uh, I assume in a pocket, or uh, assuming the volunteer doesn't go doesn't walk off with it. Um, what about the security Even. of the actual device as well? If it's on course, have you ever had um, devices that have gone missing?
2: Not yet. I've had uh, no phones. I've had a, another device go missing, but that was for our virtual stuff. Um, and it was my neighbor who nicked it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but it, but <laughs> oh, at least it
0: was close to home then. So not, not to I was
2: actually, yeah, I was testing our equipment around uh, my house. And uh, my my curious neighbor was wondering what was going on. So he took it okay um, <laughs> but other, i've never had a phone missing go missing because we actually put our we, we put our phones in timing boxes that we've built which have a fan and a battery pack in it so we can leave them there for you know up to 20 hours okay. uh, all you have to do is just hide it a little bit so you can put the phone on the ground it doesn't have to be on a tripod so you could put the phone on the ground put it up in a tree or something like this so yes uh to date i haven't had a phone go missing Amazing. That's that's just ultimately ultimately
0: awesome. I mean, I've seen I've seen your packs actually on your website, and they, it it yeah. looks really neat. So you, you just can't believe that an entire race could be could be timed like that, just simply from a from a from a briefcase. Uh, effectively. <laughs> well, yeah. I, to,
2: I told you in, I told you in the beginning. That one of the questions I get is, um, do you have to do a pairing situation? You know, and yeah. the second question I get is is exactly that. People are like I, I just can't believe this could be done. Yeah. And I say to them, well. You know we do have our limitations of course so bluetooth timing has its own limitations but within those limitations yes it can be done mm,
0: brilliant excellent um I'd, I'd love quickly for the listeners just to understand um more more out of interest uh a day in the life of, of somebody in atlas who goes to a race uh two two times so, so what happens in the morning what happens in in the afternoon and the end uh you know kind of yeah just out of interest what happens what happens for you guys what's a day like
2: yeah, sure. Well, it, it, it really, it depends on the type of race, I have to say. But if I could give you an example. Um, all right, let me give you a, a sort of typical example. So we will have done a lot of the preparation work beforehand in terms of assigning the timing chips, which we call pods, mm-hmm. to the actual big numbers. So that all that work is done uh, beforehand. And either we're handing that out on the morning, or it's handed out by the organizer the day before. So that okay. could change our day a little bit. But We will turn up very early at a race. We will set everything up, including the timing points with the phones. We will set up the start line, finish line. And depending on the size of the race, that normally doesn't take too long. Then we will come back to base, which is typically the start line. If we're handing out uh, packs with uh, chips inside, which is what I was doing two two weekends ago at a cycling race, then um, I will be there. Maybe one of my staff will be there. We'll have a volunteer from the race organizer who's there as well. And we're handing out stuff one by one as people come. And we help them, you know, understand what it is, et cetera, and how to attach it to the bike or, yeah, you know, people just take it. The rest of the, the day is basically monitoring the phones to make sure that they're operational. We will, um, during the day, just make sure that everything is going all right. We'll typically be um, hanging around with the... Uh, we'll just be, you know, with the organizer the whole time. Okay. We'll just be side by side with him or her. And we'll be... Uh, liaising with them the whole time making sure everything works and allowing the race to run as smooth as it possibly can we'll be making sure the software works we'll be fielding questions from people who might come up to us and say hey uh, what happens if my person drops out etc then we deal with all of those kind of things okay and then once the race is actually finished we collect the the pods at the end or the volunteers do we pack that all up we go and get our phones pack it all up and we go home it's really as simple as that
0: okay excellent and do you would you guys as well provide results um in a kind of flat file format or or is there a kind of uh, kind of graphical interface endpoint where where the users can see all the timing and stuff that you guys provide
2: yeah i mean at the moment it's provided on our website as uh, so we have a leaderboard which is a live leaderboard so depending on how many phones you've got out there it can change uh, quite frequently uh so every time someone comes comes through a timing gate so so that's our live leaderboard which becomes the results leaderboard when the race is finished Mm. And if the the organizer uh, wants a uh, like you say you know a kind of more traditional format with uh, times on gates etcetera, then we can provide that as well.
0: Okay, great. Well, it's uh, it sounds like almost like the, the ideal kind of race timing package really. It sounds very lightweight, neat, very well run and structured. So, uh, so yes, I hope I hope all goes well next week at the at the Hattingley half. So yeah, be interested to to hear from Ollie and, and obviously all uh, any runners I know running it. Um, and it's a shame I can't be there actually, because it would have been great to meet you, but I've got another yeah. race uh, that day, unfortunately, so I'll, I will not be able to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant. Uh, I was going to ask quickly, um, are there any uh, other applications of this technology other than running? So I know you mentioned uh, triathlon and, and swimming and, and even sailing, um, anything else that, that that's used uh, that we might not think of?
2: I mean, we, we, we essentially do uh can do pretty much any sports within reason um cycling swim run where it's where our technology bluetooth timing is very good is perhaps as an alternative to active rfid timing chips which you see in swim run which you see in triathlon etc because water is typically enemy number one for chip timing so Uh uh, with bluetooth timing that we're pretty good with that because we have a it, it emits constantly so from a technical perspective it can get over that hurdle so anything with water is pretty good. Okay. Uh, but yeah, any, any sport really, it's, um, it's not too much limited by sport, it's limited more by numbers. So mm. we won't be doing the London Marathon anytime soon.
0: Okay, yeah, obviously that's, yeah, that, that kind of came to mind as, as quite nightmarish for the software.
2: <laughs> yeah, plus, I mean, basically you, you can imagine a situation where we're handing out, you know, if we were to hand out more than 5,000 of our timing chips it doesn't become economical anymore. I don't think for the organizers. So okay. we'll be present in races with less than 5,000 people, more than 5,000. I think it's more economical to go with, you know, the, the, the tags that go behind the bibs. Yeah. I okay. think that's quite clear.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Jean-Louis, where can people follow you on social media if they want to find out more? And, and obviously um, Atlas I assume has a, has a website everyone can visit.
2: Yeah. I mean, you've, 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 uh, <laughs> you've, touched, you've touched upon a, uh, <laughs> so a point for us at the moment is we're we're on the lookout for a social media manager okay. we are quite frankly i mean this is why i'm going to be probably too honest we're very terrible at social media nobody in our team is actually any good at it including myself so you can find it you can see us on facebook on instagram etc okay. but you're not going to see a lot there our website is there um so atlaslifetracking.com or you can even go bluetoothtiming.com you'll find us uh, we're, we're very open, accessible, so you can call us, uh, write us anytime. We will answer very, very quickly. Uh, but, yeah, social media is something we need to build up. It's, um, yeah. you know, when you've got basically a bunch of engineers in a company, it's always, a, you know, maybe it's not your strongest suit, I would say, but it needs to become... <laughs> <laughs> well, it,
0: it means it means all the energy and and love gets focus gets focused into the the solution and products themselves themselves so that's a, that's a good thing and i think it's great <laughs> as well that you uh it's not a terrible thing as you, as you used the word terrible earlier to identify that you have a a gap there to fix so it's i think it's great moving forward that um somebody will get to fill that role and and help you guys be a bit more visible so that's that's fantastic john louis listen thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the show i am going to let you get to your the rest of your friday and weekend um, and listen, I wish you all the best for, for next week. Um, obviously, I know Ollie, I mentioned earlier, and, and the team there, I know they've done a great job getting getting ready for their first ever race. So yeah, I wish you all the best. And runners out there, do say hello to, to the Atlas team and, and and dish out some, I was going to say high fives, but rather elbows, I think these these days with COVID. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so all the best, Oli, okay, take care.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. And uh, thank you, everyone. And if you're at the Hat in your half, please come and say hi. Love to, love to meet you.
0: Excellent. Take care, Oli. All the best. Bye-bye.